Welcome to St. Alphonsus Wellcast, the podcast where we explore the many facets of health and well-being. This podcast is brought to you by St. Alphonsus Corporate Health and Well-Being and a generous grant from the St. Alphonsus Foundation. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the St. Alphonsus Wellcast. This is Kim Cleveland, nurse practitioner with St. Alphonsus Corporate Health and Wellbeing Department. And as usual, we have Candy Zapia. Hello. And today we have a super special guest. Um, we have a women's health nurse practitioner, Candace Inman. Candace works at St. Alphonsus in the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. She is a board-certified women's health nurse practitioner. She has been with St. Alphonsus since 2011. She has been a registered nurse for 20 years and now has been a nurse practitioner working in GYN for close to 12 years. She is a board-certified nurse practitioner through the North American Menopause Society, which is the leading organization dedicated to promoting health and quality of life of women during midlife and beyond through the understanding of menopause and healthy aging. They are recognized as the superior resource to healthcare professionals and the public on all things menopause. Additionally, she believes in empowering her patients to be proactive in their health through effective education and guidance, caring for patients holistically, and emphasizing preventative health care. She values each patient and treats them individually, respecting their culture, economic status, and lifestyle choices. We are so lucky to have her on today so yes. we can talk about a super important topic, menopause. Hi, Candice. Good morning. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. We have all sorts of questions. We've pulled some <laughs> listeners and some individuals, um, particularly women who are interested in menopausal topics. And so we've got some great questions. We're hoping to get some answers from you today. Um, first of all, can you tell us a little bit about what defines menopause and how a woman can know if she is menopausal? Yeah, so menopause really is the permanent ending of menstrual cycles, perimenopause, specifically is all that time leading up to that menopausal transition, which is where you've been 12 whole months without a menstrual cycle. And this is without any other medical causes other than decreased ovarian function. Average age of menopause is about 51 and a half. In Western culture, it is very cultural. And this really happens just because of ovarian follicular depletion. And this results in low estrogen levels. Gotcha. So you kind of run out of eggs. Is that what happens? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, exactly. great. So, Candice, what are the uh, biggest symptoms that women's experience during this menopausal transition? Yeah, so I just, I wanted to touch on, you know, we talked a little bit about menstrual cycle irreg irregularities and how periods can become erratic. Um, and so those things are can easily addressed with your provider. Um, hot flashes are the most common symptom. Um, up to 80% of women during this man menopausal transition experience them. Um, I just kind of wanted to define what a hot flash was. It's a sudden onset of heat sensation um, to the face and chest. It can last up to approximately four minutes. And for a lot of women, it can feel like a, an extreme amount of anxiety and kind of an impending doom. It can also be associated with some heart palpitations. So that a lot of people ask me, what what is a hot flash? I don't know if I'm having them. If you're having them, you will feel them and you will know that you are having them. Um, another big one is um, sleep disturbances, particularly, you know, night sweats and having, you know, getting aroused from sleep. Um, and so getting good sleep during that time is, is really important. And so there are some treatments that we can discuss in regards to sleep disturbances. Um, another real big one that oftentimes 
women are surprised when I ask them about um, is any vaginal or vulvar changes that they may experience. There's actually a term um, called GSM, which stands for genitourinary syndrome of menopause. The old term is terrible. It was vaginal atrophy. Um, oh so we have a gosh. newer, more up-to-date term. And it's really any um, anything that involves the labia, vagina, urethra, the bladder, that is not related to an infection, which is what many women come in with, but it's actually related to lack of estrogen to that tissue. Um, a lot of times women will come into my practice and they've been treated multiple times for yeast infections. Okay. They don't have a yeast infection. They don't have a bacterial infection. They just need some estrogen to their vagina. Um, you know, this can cause sometimes burning with urination. It can cause painful sex, vaginal dryness, um, even changes to the overall architecture of the external genitalia. So um, addressing those things sooner rather than later um, and keeping some estrogen to that tissue, which is very safe and very different than other types of hormone therapy is really important. That one I just really wanted to touch on. You know, it is possible to have comfortable, pleasurable intercourse, even in the postmenopausal time, but it does take a little extra work and a little extra um, maintenance of, basically maintenance of that area so that it continues to be comfortable and pleasurable. And even for women that aren't sexually active, um, most women do even that the genitalia in general feels better with a little bit of estrogen to it. And then the last one I wanted to talk about really quickly was just brain fog. A lot of women experience brain fog, um, and a lot of this is probably related to sleep disturbances and just overall, you know, body changes that happen. And so just making sure that we're addressing those things. Brain fog is a real thing that women experience with lack of estrogen. Yeah, I, I think that I've definitely heard that from menopausal women. I, you know, I also feel like very, uh, I can relate to that feeling of having patients constantly retreated for yeast infections or told they just have overactive mm -hmm. bladder, or, you know, maybe some yeah. interstitial cystitis where they're peeing frequently yeah. and those types of symptoms. But estrogen, you know, I've, I have seen the same where people will improve with their symptoms once they've re-estrogenized some of their tissues. Exactly. <laughs> and exactly. yeah, you know, it makes sense too. Like dryness can lead to itchiness and discomfort. Or, exactly. Um, yeah. And, and I think definitely taking care of ourselves in that way is so important for both our sexual and physical function. So um, I appreciate that insight as well. So when women are feeling like they're going through this change, I mean, when does perimenopause truly start if the actual menopause is around yeah. 51? Yeah, it's about five to 10 years around menopause in general. Um, it can start as early as like the late 30s. And this is an average woman. There's obviously outliers um, within this. But typically, you know, in the uh, early 40s, late 30s, usually starts probably about four years before a woman's last menstrual cycle. Okay. And so if it starts around then, what will people notice to, to identify that maybe they're starting to enter perimenopause, menopause? Yeah, the very first thing women usually notice is menstrual cycle irregularities. Um, they can become really erratic. They can come more frequently, and this is just with disruption of hormonal fluctuations and just leading up to menstrual irregularities. Typically, the cycles will get maybe a woman normally has always had a 28-day cycle. She'll experience a time where she has like a 21-day cycle, then maybe a 34-day cycle, and it's just really erratic. May skip some cycles here and there. The longer she goes and skips cycles, she'll be more likely to have some of those symptoms of low estrogen, which most commonly people associate with perimenopausal changes in menopause are hot flashes. Okay. So hot flashes definitely are something that people can notice in perimenopause also. Yes. 
Okay. I've just got to say real quick, I was really shocked to hear that the kind of perimenopausal state starts in the late 30s and early 40s. Has that has that changed? Is that something that's kind of evolving or is it just that we never really talked about it and I'm just now I becoming think that aware we just of it? Never, yeah, we just never really talked about it. For so many women are just, you know, whether it's stress or, you know, there's other things that can cause that, but most people do start somewhere in more the early, like early 40s. And, you know, perimenopause is really just a label that we put on symptoms. And if a woman has a couple of irregular cycles and they're within that window, you can technically label them as perimenopausal. And so, yeah, I just think that we're recognizing things more and that we're trying to empower women more to, you know, seek help and seek advice for these things. Because for so long, it's just been like, oh, you're fine, tough it out. And that's what that's what a lot of my patients within this subgroup of patients will tell me, well, I just don't, you know, my mom said, well, it'll, it'll go away and I'll just get over it. Well, there's also a lot of disease and risk that can be associated with just letting things go and not taking as good of care of yourself. Right. You know, and, and I think just to piggyback on that, I saw Candy's eyes bug yes. <laughs> talking about this. And I think, Candy, as you're approaching 40 very soon, yes. <laughs> maybe this is something that you're just now thinking about I'm, for the first now, time. And you know what? Now I feel hot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, goodness. Oh, amazing when our bodies yes. <laughs> make these transitions. <laughs> um, so, okay, so you're talking about empowering women, educating women. What are some of the non-medication strategies that women who are in this perimenopausal period that they can implement to help ease some of their symptoms of menopause? Well, some of the real non non-medication really is just about, you know, lifestyle modification, you know, increasing exercise, doing things to decrease stress, take, you know, using this as an opportunity to get more healthy, you know, women that are closer to normal healthy body weight that exercise regularly, that manage their stress, they do have less significant symptoms than women that don't take as good a care of themselves. For example, like smokers have significantly more hot flashes than non-smokers do. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I wouldn't so. have thought of that. That makes sense. I mean, I think we know a lot with aging. A lot of it's about taking care of yourself in the ways that are even more simple than anything we have pharmacologically or on the market or procedurally to help people. Stress and anxiety are a trigger for hot flashes in general. So, not to say that somebody that practices yoga and that runs the Boston Marathon isn't going to have severe hot flashes, right. but in general, people tend to be more managed when they have good coping techniques and skills. Yeah, that makes that makes total sense. Okay, so once you are in that perimenopausal or menopausal period, we know that, that there's hormones available that can be um, given. I, I think it, previously it was called hormone replacement therapy. Is that still the accepted term? I heard some news that maybe that was changing, that we were changing our vernacular surrounding that. But well, That's pretty still pretty accurate, okay. hormone replacement therapy. Okay. Yeah. And then what's the consensus on people taking hormones in like the perimenopause, menopausal period, or what's the history on that? Well, this is a hot topic and this yeah. is getting a lot of attention right now. Um, and this is kind of what I meant about empowering women and, you know, making sure that they advocate for themselves because there's this long-standing history of like, just suck it up. Or I have patients that come and tell me like, oh, my primary care provider or whoever said I'm too young for this or it'll get better. Just wait it out. There's too many risks with it. And a lot of that is because they there's a lot of new data that's out um, and data that supports hormone replacement therapy, particularly as the leading treatment for vasomotor symptoms, which are hot flashes and night sweats, and also for 
osteoporosis prevention in postmenopausal women. Um, we also know that there's a lot of good data to support cardiovascular health and, you know, even brain health if you use hormone replacement therapy in the appropriate window of time, which is going to be within that first 10 years of menopause or not initiating therapy after the age of 60. And so that's the component of that is the most important is the timing of hormone replacement therapy. Um, and I think that people are starting to do more research on Line. There's been some big um, news organizations that have recently come out and, you know, kind of said, hey, this women's health initiative, which is this large study, did give women a lot of misinformation um, or maybe not misinformation, but just the way the data was uh, presented um, was not accurate or did not reflect the population that we're treating currently. You know, we're saying starting somewhere before the age of 60 where, you know, the average age of the participants in that study where most people get that information from about breast cancer and dementia, the average age of those participants was actually 63. Okay. So much older than what you're thinking of initiating hormone therapy. Yeah. And so that's really where it's getting that that topic and that and for the for the most part, really, there are very, very few women that actually risk out of being on hormone replacement therapy. We have really safe options. And these all, you know, I, I just think, you know, if you want more information about it, obviously schedule an appointment with your provider. But I think that the biggest misconception is like with breast cancer and, and just people say, no, I'll just tough it out because I don't want to get breast cancer when heart disease is actually the leading cause of right. mortality for women. Right. And there's actually some cardiovascular protective um, things that can come from appropriate estrogen therapy. Yeah, so hormone replacement therapy can be preventive in many other areas besides just easing those vasomotor symptoms or other symptoms of menopause. So that kind of leads me to wondering, you know, what changes to your health risk occur after menopause that we need to protect against? Like what are these cardiovascular risks and bone density risks and breast cancer risk and all that? And and why does that change after menopause? Yeah. Um, Well, cardiovascular risk accelerates drastically after a woman goes through menopause. Um, When we have a decrease in estrogen production, women tend to have more central abdominal fat. And with this accumulation comes more metabolic syndrome, higher cholesterol, high blood pressure, higher blood sugars, and all of those things that come with that decline in estrogen, which increases your risk of central obesity. Also, hot flashes and night sweats um, definitely show an increased risk of hypertension in general. And that's probably just because your body doesn't adapt and doesn't cope as well when you're sleep deprived or you can't focus. Mm, totally. <laughs> yeah. We Familiar. Can yeah. <laughs> So um, we know, you know, bone density is obviously a huge concern Mm -hmm. we have for women as they age because of the risk of fractures and things as well when they have low bone density. And um, so taking hormone replacement therapy appropriately prescribed by your provider can be helpful for bone density as well, correct? Correct. Okay. It's actually an FDA approved treatment for prevention of osteoporosis in postmenopausal women. Oh, that's great. It's great to, you know, have that as an option. And I think hopefully it removes some of the stigma or concern that patients have surrounding hormones if it's something they and their provider are considering as well. Um, You know, anything we can do to kind of prevent ourselves from becoming chronically ill or, you know, decreasing our quality of life as we age is so important. Um, And then, you know, we touched a little bit earlier, but what role does diet and exercise play in postmenopause in terms of health risk and, you know, prevention of chronic disease and improving quality of life? 
obviously anything that's going to promote, you know, healthy, like Mediterranean style diet, um, anything that's going to promote, you know, not having spiking of blood sugar, anything that's going to be heart friendly. Mediterranean is a great one. Um, avoiding like refined sugars and, you know, actually sugar and spiking blood sugar can increase hot flashes also, you know, just overall, I don't have a particular diet that I recommend for my menopausal women. I, you know, have them decrease alcohol consumption because that triggers hot flashes, um, make mm -hmm. sure they get plenty of water, get plenty of exercise, but not any one particular diet. Okay. And then, you know, there's definitely was some um, news buzz, I know, at least, you know, 10, 15 years ago, in terms of like phytoestrogens and soy and things like that. Like, do you have any recommendations? Because I know that um, a lot of cultures, like Asian cultures are fairly heavy mm -hmm. on soy consumption as well. And that's something that some cultures have used to mitigate some of the menopausal symptoms. Do you have any um, recommendations for people for eating soy or avoiding soy or any other foods yeah. in particular? Yeah, I, there, one to two servings have been shown to decrease hot flashes. In some studies, um, there's just not good double-blind data to support this. But with a lot of the non-medications or especially with the non-medications, there definitely is some placebo effect with those, mm -hmm. um, especially if they're not double-blinded. But, you know, there definitely are women that report decreased hot flashes. And the recommendation is one to two servings of soy a day okay. um, in that for that group. Yeah. Okay. So that leads me to mental health. Obviously, this is a huge change in terms of um, the way you view yourself, your body, your place in the world. Um, all these different things come to play when we think about menopause and transitioning there. So mental health wise, what can women do to support their mental health throughout this period? Well, first of all, reach out to your provider, reach out to other people and, and talk about it. I think in a lot of times, it, traditionally in the past, like peer groups haven't discussed these. And I think more and more um, people are discussing it and just kind of normalizing it, knowing that this is a body change and you still may have half of your life to live after you go through this reproductive change, you know, and, and just surrounding yourself with positive people and self-care and, you know, hobbies and just do things that make you happy in general. But, you know, it is a difficult time for for a lot of women. There's a lot of physical, like you were saying, to your body and psychological changes. Some, A lot of women are at the height of their career when they're trying to fight through oh, all yeah. of these changes that are happening. They have aging parents. They may have teenagers at home. Yeah. There's just a lot of external. And for a lot of people, I mean, you know, if, if you can't function well, it's hard to be an integral part of your family and be high functioning and, you know, high producing for your family and for your work and, you know, for everybody that may need you. Um, and so I think that just, you know, acknowledging that and not just trying to tough it out, you know, just talking to you know, talking to people about it. And then, you know, people, you know, there is an increase in depression with menopause. Obviously, it's going to be more significant for people that have a history of it. But we do see women that come with depression for the first time during this time and just making sure that you're talking to your healthcare provider about it, you know, counseling, life coaches, things like that, because we do start to reflect back on the things that are going on in our life during that time. Yeah, I think that's all so accurate. Yeah. <laughs> I feel so much of that to my core yeah. projecting forward. But in terms of the mental health piece as well, you know, I think 
one thing I see societally that's improved, I think, at least in the last 10 years or so, is, you know, we have so many celebrities coming out. We have, like, Meryl Streep and Diane Keaton and all Jane Fonda and all these women coming out about is postmenopausal women sort of with varying um, philosophies, I guess I would yeah. say, on how to manage <laughs> that. But more so just that it's, it's sort of normalized, like, talking about some of it a little bit more. It's not so hush-hush yeah, behind closed right. doors, which is, you know, I think probably one of the more positive aspects of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that women do feel more comfortable or empowered to talk about that with each other and be a community for one another, which, as we know, is so important for all of us, no matter what we're so going through. So true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I ask a lot of my patients and I say, hey, what did you, when did your mom go through menopause? We, we didn't talk about it. You know, like right. it's very, very taboo. And almost like as if you're like a wimp or, you know, whatever, if you, if you, if you can't just deal with it, or if you need, you know, some people, you know, or like I have patients that say my mom says I shouldn't take hormones because of this, or because I, you know, I'll just tough it out and it'll go away. And it, you know, we, that's, that's just not good. It's just not good advice. (laughs) Sorry, moms. We don't have to suffer. I think what it is. Exactly. if, If we're having symptoms and we're not able to handle it, you know, we can just talk to our provider and ask and look at different options. And I like the fact that you also brought up, you know, different studies. And I think, you know, we get all this information. There's information everywhere. And something that I'm really passionate about is, people understanding where that information comes from and kind of just having even just a basic level of understanding of how studies are done or just kind of looking into it, you know, Mm -hmm. instead of just taking things for face value, let's see. And so when you shared that, you know, a lot of that testing when it was talking about breast cancer was in people over what, 63 or Mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah. Um, You know, to, uh, to understand, I guess that not all of the information that comes out is not incorrect, but just to be able to look at the origins of it and to be able right. to, again, and again, that's something that we can talk to our providers with and kind of get that information. So this has been very Absolutely. enlightening topic. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> it is. Do you have any other thoughts or recommendations on ways women can support themselves or ways we can, um, you know, be better advocates for our health? as we age? Well, I think that if you, you know, specifically, like if you're having menopausal changes and your provider's not hearing you, um, you know, I think asking them to refer you to somebody that does have more knowledge in menopause, this isn't really a topic that is widely covered in NP school, not a topic, even in gynecology. Um, I mean, it is, but you know, there's so, I mean, it could practically be a practice of medicine of itself. I mean, it can be up to a half of a woman's life and advocating for seeing somebody that does um, North American menopause. Society actually has a list of certified certified providers in your state or by your zip code. There's actually only two of us in the Treasure Valley. Oh wow! wow. And so uh, you know, just somebody that actually understands menopausal care and treatment for it. Yeah, I think that's so great. Um, which leads me to my next point. We will post in the show notes a link that if you're interested in scheduling with Candice or another um, provider in her practice, you will be able to do that based on the show notes. Yeah, we just appreciate so much of your knowledge and insight in terms of menopause and care for women in the menopausal state. And as a disclaimer, this is not medical advice. If you have any questions regarding your own health, you should contact your own healthcare provider or schedule an appointment. Um, but we really appreciate having you on and, and all that you've shared with us. And, and hopefully we'll be able to, you know, disseminate this to people around us so that we all can support each other as we go through these yes. important life phases because they keep coming at us. <laughs> Thank you so much for 
for coming on, Candace. We hope you have a great day. And if anyone um, has any questions, you can reach out to us at sawellness at stalfonsis.org. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of St. Alphonsus Wellcast, brought to you by St. Alphonsus Corporate Health and Wellbeing and the St. Alphonsus Foundation. Always be sure to catch new episodes by subscribing to us through all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. We hope you'll tune in again. Until then, be well.